Welcome to the Sick and Successful Podcast, hosted by Shalinda Kirby, a cervical cancer survivor, and Natalie Supes, a Crohn's warrior since 2007. Our goal is to give you proof that it's not only possible to be sick and successful, but it's possible for you. Dream big and tune in. You can also follow us on Instagram at sickandsuccessful underscore. Here are your hosts. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Sick and Successful podcast. We have a super special guest with us today. His name is Mark Lipson. He is a general and colorectal surgeon. He's originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba, so that's where we record. He completed his medical school at the University of Manitoba. Whoop, whoop. Followed by residency in general surgery at the University of Calgary and a fellowship in colorectal surgery in Calgary, focusing on the treatment of patients with colon and rectal cancer, as well as people with Crohn's and colitis. He's an active leader in medicine and having been the president of Manitoba's Medical Student Association and Professional Association of Residence Physicians of Alberta. Wow. He holds a master's in public policy degree from the University of Calgary, and he is taking time out of his very busy schedule to chat with us today about COVID-19. So just so you guys know the date of the date we're recording, so this episode is going to come out a few days later and everything changes hour to hour. So you guys are aware today is March 17th and we do not have Shalinda Kirby with us today because of everything going on. Um, Ontario, a province in Canada was declared a state of emergency and there's lots going on. So she is dealing with that um, with radio and everything she has to be reporting on. So no Shalinda today, but we have Mark. So welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So um, we're not going to start. We typically start off with a little speed round, but I already said where you're from, and I'm assuming you're not sick with anything. No. <laughs> Do you have I'm any doing... chronic illnesses? No. Uh, no, I, I'm doing okay. Perfect. Okay, so our speed round kind of doesn't matter here. Um, the subject today is COVID-19. So the reason we wanted to have a medical professional on our podcast is just because of all the misinformation out there. And with our listeners being people with chronic illness, it, it's really tough to kind of navigate that. And I wanted to, we, we wanted to kind of get your opinion, see what's going on on the other side of things. Um, and I think it's super interesting that you actually are doing surgeries and that that's kind of your field because that's something we typically don't hear from. So anything you want to talk to us about specifically? Um, well, I would agree with you that things are moving very quickly it can be a bit of a confusing time um everybody obviously wants information we're very information driven in our world today um but i think it's important that people get the right information especially as you said with things moving so quickly yeah i agree and there's there's so much misinformation out there i i recently saw something about if you take Advil, it'll make the disease worse or COVID, the virus, the virus worse. Um, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but there's a lot of fear mongering. There's a lot of information, um, misinformation. So what would you say are kind of like the top five things or top three things that people with chronic illness should be aware of right now? Well, I think as far as people saying fear mongering uh, or things like that, um, what I'm hearing from a lot of my physician colleagues and, and what I believe myself is that, 
you know, it's really the time to take decisive action right now. And that means really trying to avoid anything non-essential and limiting extra trips out of the house is the thing to do at this point, I think. So everybody needs to eat, you know, you need stuff for the house and that's fine, but you should skip birthday parties, uh, you know, church, synagogue, mosque, whatever the case may be, you know, it's time to do that virtually turn on the TV or get down in front of your computer and connect with your communities that way. I agree. Um, 100%. The people who are saying, Oh, you know, uh, it's no big deal. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, on a person to person basis, most of us are going to be just fine, but there is evidence of spread in the community. And what we mean by that is, uh, not obviously related to people who have been traveling in areas that we know are high risk and, and that's been happening in Alberta for sure. And that's what led them to closing their schools in the last few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think realistically that's coming across Canada. Um, this virus is, uh, or sort of moves like the common cold. We all know how colds seem to go around. I think that's the most important thing that you can say is, especially for us in the chronic illness community, that we need to take it more serious. I'm seeing it everywhere where people are saying, it'll be fine. Like, it's because of the presidential elections or it's because of the, like, no. Or or people will say, it's it's the exact same thing as the flu. You have more chance to die of the flu. But the flu doesn't spread this quickly. And we've never had a state of emergency and schools shut down and blah, 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 because of the flu. What's your opinions on that? You know, this is this is like the flu in some ways. This is a virus and it's very common and it goes around. The flu, we have flu seasons. I'm sure everybody's uh, familiar with that. And it's cyclical and there's different strains from year to year. And the flu kills thousands and thousands of people every year, actually. The flu can be very dangerous. Right. But we're used to it, so to speak, right? It happens every year. It's not this massive event this this new virus covid covid-19 is actually related to the sars virus if anybody remembers that uh, which happened a number of years ago in the early 2000s Um, they're both called uh, coronaviruses which uh, corona uh, refers to crown and it's it's the appearance of the virus when they put it under an electron microscope this is a slightly different virus than the SARS virus. And what we're finding is that in older individuals and in individuals who have health problems, uh, so chronic breathing issues, COPD, lung disease, uh, individuals with bad heart disease, and individuals in their 70s and 80s, absolutely, the virus is having a very big impact and people are dying from this. As well as Young- people on immune suppressants, correct? Well, so people on immunosuppression or people who are immunosuppressed are absolutely going to be a high-risk group. So that would include people on steroids, people on chemotherapy, people with immune disorders, uh, people with cancer, for example, uh, people on biologics for, for rheumatologic or bowel disease. All of those people are immunosuppressed. And so at you know, on a regular level, they're slightly more susceptible to things. And so should they get this virus, they're going to be at higher risk. So I would lump them in with that high risk population as far as age and other health problems goes. 
I've not seen any specific data to the uh, immunosuppressed or chronically ill community as far as younger people. Um, but data is coming out all the time. Mm -hmm. And even though we don't have the data, I would still categorize those people as higher risk along with older individuals. So, and what that means is just take more, like more precautions. So stay home, maybe get someone else to go get your groceries. Um, just be extra cautious. If you, yeah, I would agree with that. Work, if you don't. can, if you can avoid putting yourself at higher risk in any way, whether, as you said, that's having friend, you know, order your groceries online and have a friend yeah. pick them up or, uh, you know, working virtually or just being off work, if that's an option for you, it's mm -hmm. not always, unfortunately, you know, washing your hands lots, really avoiding any crowded places, skip the spring break trip, um, anything like that. Yeah. And I appreciate you showing us the correlation between the flu and this, because that's something I'm hearing over and over. So yes, it's similar as when it comes to virus, but the flu doesn't spread this quickly all at once. And that's kind of what our biggest issue is, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the other issues is just that this is new, right? You know, our bodies haven't seen it. And that's part of the reason that it's causing such havoc. You know, we get strains of flu every so often that our bodies haven't seen and can't handle so well. So some people might remember H1N1 as being a very bad flu. And that's true. And so in some ways, this is similar. The hope and the thinking is that once this virus has traveled through most of the population, there's going to be some level of immunity to it. And so mm -hmm. even if it's circulating in the future, if it comes around again, it may not be so severe. Okay. But so we don't know that for sure. Right. So you mentioned SARS and you mentioned H1N1. And I do remember those those situations. I remember SARS being like, it's going to be big. It's going to be bad. Kind of like this was a few few weeks ago. But I don't remember much happening with SARS. So what was the difference in that case um, and H1N1? I'm not really sure the difference between the two. But what was the, like, why didn't that happen in, in this severity? Well, so SARS was pretty severe when it happened excuse me, when it happened. Um, you know, I'm a relatively early career physician, so I wasn't a doctor yet when SARS was going on. SARS happened sort of in two, early 2003. So, you know, we tend to have a bit of a short memory sometimes. Sure. Uh, that was 17 years ago. And, and that really be, began in Asia. And then it spread across the world. From what I can recall the death rate was not quite so impressive okay. and the speed at which it sort of swept across the globe was not quite so impressive. I don't think people caught or communicated SARS quite as easily. Right. Cause and then also you just have to think about how our world has changed. You know, we're, we're just that much more mobile yeah. uh, even 15 years later, as far as people traveling country to country. And, and the spread of information too. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I saw something about social media, you know, um, or SARS mentions in the media at that time when, when SARS was really going on yeah. versus mentions of COVID in the media and social media right now. And there's no comparison, you know, the right. way information, both true and false is being transmitted has completely changed in the world. Yeah. 
So something I'm really interested in is how it's affecting you as someone newer in the medical field, but also how it's affecting, you know, surgeries, people who do have Crohn's and colitis who need to go um, for a colonostomy or, um, you know, people with cancer. How is it affecting people who are already really sick and the hospitals are starting to be overrun or full and the worry of catching COVID while there? I have to say we're still really early in Canada here, relatively, Mm -hmm. and things are just on the upswing. Um, I think most, myself and most physicians I've been in contact with, things are going to get worse for a while here before they're going to get better. That was the advice from um, the public health professionals in the last few news conferences as well. Yeah. Um, If anybody had seen the the federal news conference yesterday involving a number of the ministers. Yeah, I've been watching them. <laughs> um, so this is going to get worse before it gets better. It is going to pass through a lot of the population. For the most part, young people should be okay. The risk of getting really ill is low. But it's a bit of a numbers game. If yeah. enough people get sick, so if millions of people get sick, you know, many thousands might still get very ill, deathly ill. Uh, and need uh, serious supports or hospitalization. And as far as what that means for hospitals uh, is a few things and for the people who are seeking care at those hospitals. So number one, if you've got something that we call elective, you know, that's a common word for surgery, at least elective surgery, that means you're choosing to do it and you're choosing to do it at a convenient time. And I think most of that is going to be shut down. I've seen from colleagues in Ontario and out east um, that elective surgeries already are being cancelled. So in your practice, what would be considered an elective surgery? So for surgeons, for a lot of surgeons, that would be like a hernia repair. Okay. Maybe getting your gallbladder out if you're having some low-level symptoms. Um, Getting lumps or bumps that you want to take it off, taken care of. If somebody with Crohn's disease needed a major surgery. Yeah. Um, you know, what I would be thinking about is, um, you know, are they really sick right now? Or is this a long-term quality of life surgery? Okay. If it's a long-term quality of life surgery and they're not so sick that they're stuck in the hospital, I'd probably put it off. Okay. So for example, I have a Crohn's patient who's waiting to get her ileostomy, her bag closed. That's the word that I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure, you know, that, that's a few weeks out still, but I'm not sure if we're going to do that. Right. Because that's elective per se. Yeah. So this is elective. Yeah. This, this patient is totally fine. I mean, they'd like to get their bag for sure. taken care of and, and uh, get rid of it. But they're living their life. They're not sick or anything right now, there's no emergency to their situation. And so you always want to do the safest thing. And in this case, that might be waiting. And so say that what's happening in Italy does happen here in Canada, where, you know, they're having to make decisions on who they are letting into the hospital, etc. Will you continue to be doing those types of surgeries? Or will like, do all doctors and surgeons kind of go on the front lines? How does that work? I think that remains to be seen. Right. Um, So, you know, on a typical day, surgeons of all kinds, ear, nose, throat surgeons, brain surgeons, they're not going to usually be seeing patients with respiratory disease or lung lung and breathing problems. But it 
you know, everybody went through medical school and has the same basic medical training. And so it's possible that we may need to be switching around and fill in and, and sort of do things that we don't do on a regular basis, just because that's what's necessary. We're certainly not at that situation yet. I hope we don't get there, but it's, it's a definite possibility. And as things evolve, we may continue to, to shut things down. Um, I think a lot of people have noticed that once one jurisdiction makes a decision about shutting down certain activities, usually everybody within a day or two looks around and says, yeah, they're probably right. We better do the same. Yeah. And we've seen that in the last couple of days in exactly. Canada. Yeah. How is it affecting you and your family right now? So I know you said um, you are on call. This was prior to us recording, but you did mention you're on call and you do surgeries in other provinces, I'm assuming. And so how is this affecting you specifically? Uh, So, I mean, my kids are home. They're out of school. um, And we're basically just laying low. We're not doing anything extra. Uh, I'm not working except when I'm supposed to be the emergency on-call surgeon somewhere. So Mark, what are some things that you would like to kind of get out there in the public or some information that you want people to read, hear, see? So I think number one, as we touched on a bit earlier, is this idea about social distancing. And it's, it's not just for people who are high risk, it's for everybody. I'm young and healthy as far as I know, and I'm <laughs> trying to avoid large crowds I'm trying not to do anything extra as I said you know we kind of we get our groceries when we need them try and just get in get out don't spend a lot of time uh, near other people if you can try not you know trying to leave sort of adequate distance between everybody don't touch a whole lot of things make sure we're doing good hand hygiene on the way in and out of the store Uh, and then again when we get home so that's number one. And yeah, so you guys heard that here from a surgeon, from someone working in a hospital, not a government person, not someone random on TV. This is someone who's on the front line. So that just shows you that this isn't just some fear going around. This is serious and you guys need to take it seriously, especially if you're chronically ill, but not just like your, your partners should be social distancing as well. And, you know, just getting the bare essentials like groceries and Let's not go to pubs for birthday parties and all of that kind of stuff. And it's tough. Like we have to cancel um, a trip to the cabin because my parents work with the public and I'm pregnant and I'm immune suppressed. So, you know, it's my husband's birthday. We had a birthday plan. We're going to the cabin. And of course, we're not happy about it. But what's more important is the health, number one of our family, but number two, the whole the whole cat, like all of Canada, all of the world, we need to do this together so that it can actually work for people like Mark who have to travel and be in the hospital and, you know, help other people who need, need that help. The, those of us who can stay home should be staying home. Sorry to interrupt. (laughs) No, that's great. And I think what you said, you know, about our partners and our friends and everybody else is really important because there's some evidence that, Otherwise, young, healthy people can be infected and not have any symptoms and pass it on. So if people are just going on like this is business as usual, we're going to get into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I think another thing that I find important is, you know, where do we get our information and where can we get trusted information from? So government pages, every province has a COVID web page. 
those are good places to get information. You're not going to get false stuff. I will admit it's not perfect. Things are moving so fast that sometimes the language isn't always consistent. The recommendations aren't perfectly consistent, but overall that information is very good. So provincial and federal Canadian government pages, the World Health Organization, they're sort of our world health body. That's a good place to get accurate information if you're not sure what's going on. Or if you live somewhere outside of Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if, if you want to know as well what's going on and get stats outside of that, um, Johns Hopkins has a page that's tracking all the cases. So Johns Hopkins is a very famous uh, health sciences research hospital uh, on the Northeast Seaboard in the Baltimore area. So they've got a, a coronavirus resource center that you can Google and they've got a map updating all the stats. Cool. Um, and I think, you know, other, other sort of trusted sources, think of brand names, so to speak, as far as healthcare, things like the Cleveland Clinic and the Mayo Clinic and places like that those places will have accurate information for you. I'd be very careful with what you pick up on Facebook mm -hmm. unless you're getting it from health professionals. And even then, if it says a health professional name in the screenshot, maybe just go to that website. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to be careful. You know, I won't pretend that I'm trained in naturopathy or anything, but there are some caregivers, I would say, that I think sometimes like to stretch uh, their reach. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you just have to be a little bit cautious with that. You have to be an informed consumer of your information. Yeah, it's so important. And the flip side of that is, unfortunately, I've seen some misinformation or some dangerous things going around. So I've seen this uh, unfortunate graphic that says something like coronavirus lives in the throat uh, before it reaches the lungs and, and you can cure it if you drink and gargle lots of warm water or salt or vinegar and that's really not based in science um, and on the flip side some things you hear that may not seem to make sense actually um, actually I think are credible so for example you mentioned Advil yep and from what I've seen that makes sense to me I've seen a scientific paper about the mechanism that they think that works uh, they think that Advil affects one of the molecules uh, on our cells that the virus connects with and uses to enter the cells. And so when I've been talking with friends and family, I've said if you need something, I'd probably stay away from the Advil, the Motrin, the ibuprofen for now. Yeah, and that's, uh, and, that's and for people. Tylenol. Yeah, that's for people with Crohn's disease as well and IBD as well as people who are pregnant. So yeah, when I saw that, I was like, I don't know, like, I'm not going to take time to research that. But I mean, if I did catch it, I probably wouldn't take Advil. But the salt gargling and, you know, all those other ones out there, I wouldn't uh, rely on that to keep you. Yeah. Keep I mean, you're right. Yeah, for, for people with inflammatory bowel disease, uh, gastroenterologists and colorectal surgeons typically tell all patients with IBD, Crohn's, any type of colitis to stay away from NSAIDs mm -hmm. anyways. Yeah. So Same with um, people who are pregnant. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, definitely want to stay away from NSAIDs if you're pregnant. Yeah. Um, so uh, luckily that all lines up, I guess. But uh, even for the healthy folks out there, you know, for at least my friends and family, I've been saying, you know, probably stick with Tylenol. If That's you, good if advice. Something. 
so I have a question for you. Um, and I don't know what your opinion on this is, but when you were mentioning the websites with the numbers of confirmed cases, personally, this is like just a story from here in Winnipeg, but I have a good friend who um, most likely has COVID. She was in working in a building downtown where there was a confirmed case. She has every single one of the symptoms. Um, and so she called health links and waited on hold for the few hours. And they told her because she didn't travel in the last 14 days um, and that she can't prove she had contact with that person, that they can't test her and to social distance. They didn't tell her to quarantine. In that same day, her partner had to go out for um, interview. So was in a public building. That situation to me confirmed everything that like I need to be even safer than I already was because if we're not testing people who you know are showing every symptom then this is a lot worse than I'm seeing and I guess kind of what are your thoughts on the testing the numbers all of that kind of stuff yeah that's a great question so I think you raise a, a really good point first which is and you point something out unfortunately right now we are not able to test everybody that ideally we would like to test yeah and the chief of the world health organization in one of his press conferences just in the last 24 to 48 hours said you know if if i have one piece of advice it is test 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 um they also did an interesting study in italy in a small town of around 3,000 people and they found the infection was very widespread and as i said it was in a lot of young healthy people right. without any other signs or symptoms so um, I guess to sort of bring that all back around. So number one, we're actually doing a fairly good job in Canada of testing. If you look at our per capita testing rate, it's yeah. quite high and we're ramping it up very quickly. We have done more tests than our neighbors to the south, the United States, and we are one-tenth of the size. So when you talk about this being everywhere, though, yes, the stats probably don't fully reflect it. I think that it's probably widespread or on the way to being widespread throughout our communities. And we won't fully really understand the scope of that because we just don't have the capacity to test for it. Yeah. And, and for people like her who are in her mid twenties, she's going to be fine. It's, it's kind of just, it right, goes but you to don't want to pass it on. Exactly. Exactly. And maybe her partner doesn't have symptoms, but you know, we don't know if he does or not, does not have it. So that kind of just gives me the little push to everyone else to say, even if, for example, wherever you're living, if your province, your state, or hasn't had a confirmed case or hasn't had a confirmed death, doesn't mean that there isn't people all around you who may or may not have it. It's just Absolutely. we we can't test to the to the amounts that we sh could or should be. Maybe um, it's so brand new that we're doing our best, and I know Canada is doing way better than. Um, yeah, like you said, our neighbors to the south when it comes to testing, but it, it doesn't mean that just because in Winnipeg we don't have that many cases that we really don't have that many cases. I completely agree with that. you. There's going to be a lot of cases that we never catch with a test, and hopefully yeah. it's young, healthy people who just get better. Exactly. But as you said, it's 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 definitely going to be out there, and the stats are not going to fully reflect it unless we could test everybody, and at this yeah. point we just can't. Yeah. So kind of just to finish up, what would be something like, what's your number one advice or something you really want to get out there? Um, maybe that you're not seeing enough in information or that's pressing for you to share with our audience. 
Well, I think for me, it's really just to stress that this is not life as usual for the next few weeks here, at, you know, at minimum. Yeah. Do you think uh, it's going to be weeks? Uh, I expect it'll be weeks to months. Okay. It really depends on what the curve of the disease looks like as far right. as finding cases. And we are still really early. If you look at any sort of graph, looking at how many cases are being found, it is on a sharp upslope. And you want to sort of see that level off and peter out. Um, so it's it's relatively still really early days here in Canada. And I expect it will be weeks and potentially months. It's, it's a bit hard to know exactly. Um, if you look at China, you know, they've leveled off now. Things really started picking up there in December. We're now mid-March. So that's, right. you know, two and a half to three months. Now... Canada has a few interesting advantages. Our population is smaller. Relatively, we're much more spread out, even within our big cities, you know. So it may not move exactly the same as it does there. But it is not going to be business as usual. And I think, thankfully, our government is finally really getting there, right? When Ontario declares a state of emergency, when everywhere is shut down schools, um, you know, all our professional sports have shut down. Yeah. You know, I think those are the right things and, and we're getting there. Um, it remains to be seen how long we need to be doing that. But I think that's my number one message for everybody who hasn't altered their way of life one bit. That's a problem to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's don't worry, there will be toilet paper and those of us with Crohn's and colitis need it. So please think about your fellow, <laughs> your fellow cronies. Um, so Mark, at the end of a podcast, we always ask whoever we're interviewing a question, a really important one, and it's, what does success mean to you? So I would say to me, success means getting to choose how you spend your time. I love it. That's awesome. So would you consider yourself successful? I think so. Awesome. And where can they find you? I'll admit that I lay somewhat low on social media. Uh, I like photography, so I do have an Instagram page. To be honest, I can't even remember if it's That's public okay. or not. We can put um, it all in the show notes. Uh, we can put any information you want them to be able to reach you at in the show notes. Yeah, but if you wanted to uh, find some thoughts from me on uh, you know, public policy and things like that, uh, I am on Twitter. It's at me underscore Lipson, M-E underscore L-I-P-S-O-N. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you again for taking time out of your day, out of hanging out with your family to chat with us and help us know what's right and what's wrong. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Everybody stay home and wash your hands. Thanks so much for listening. If you like our show and want to know more, follow us on Instagram at sickandsuccessful underscore. Join us next week for an all new episode.